Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Hope for Chronic Pain podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Katinka Vandermeer. Dr. Katinka grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa, as the daughter of a successful chiropractic doctor. She followed in her father's footsteps and graduated from Parker College of Chiropractic in 1999. She has since gained a reputation for developing a novel, non-invasive treatment system for neurologic rehabilitation of chronic pain, resulting in breakthroughs for even the most hopeless and severe cases. Her and her team have gained international attention due to their unprecedented success rates in these cases. Kent State University is slated to be involved with the first study of her work starting this year. She is an international speaker and best-selling author of three books, Putting Out the Fire, Taming the Beast, and Wake Up, Miracles of Healing from Around the World. Dr. Katinka practices in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and is the CEO of the Spiro Clinic. Today, you'll be listening to Dr. Katinka and her special guest, her sister, Dr. Honnelly, discuss the hidden connection between viruses and chronic pain. Welcome back to our podcast. I promised you that we are going to delve in and look at practical aspects of chronic pain and also things that may be missed medically. And I really want to delve into that. I want to give you guys valuable information. Today, I have Dr. Hanalee Vandermeer as a guest. I'm so excited to have her on. She happens to be my sister and she fulfills a very important role in our practice. While she prefers to be buried in a lab or blood work and studying and having consults with patients, I drag her out of her lab every now and then to share her knowledge with you guys. So welcome, Dr. Hanalee. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you for doing this. When we bring a patient in, we look at the whole body and we do blood work and lab tests and we delve into those numbers. When you see so many people that have the same type of pain over time, you start looking for commonalities and that gives us clues as to what could be at the bottom of the pain. When you go to most allopathic doctors, they look at symptoms. You know, they look at ways to numb the pain, interrupt the pain. Um, basically, it's like a fire alarm and you're putting a wet blanket over it because you don't like the sound of that alarm. But the thing is, pain serves a function. Your body is crying out for help. It is trying to communicate to you that there is a bigger problem. And so it's very important that you peel the layers and you get down to the bottom of how things went wrong. And normally it's not just one thing, you know. There are many, many ways that our bodies get offline, so to speak, and things start going wrong. And pain is just at the very end of that process where your body is trying to alert you that things are not good inside of you. So our job is not just to be doctors, but to be detectives. You know, I've said before, and I say this all the time, it's not the 8 out of 10 people that help you, that motivate you, but it's the 2 out of 10 patients that you cannot help. And so we are constantly looking for ways to help everybody Why do we get stuck with a specific patient? Why is that patient not responding? And so we've learned that when a patient goes through care, we have certain clues to alert us that there is yet another problem and another doorway to open and examine and a puzzle to delve into. To that end, Dr. Honnelly, talk to me 
about the blood work that we typically perform. My role in our practice is to remove any obstacles to treatment. So just yesterday morning, I had a patient come in and say, you know, she's tried physical therapy many times and she was specifically very sensitive to any kind of electrical therapy. She had a very negative reaction. So what I do is we break it down to the basics. What we find oftentimes that most of the missed opportunities occur in the very basics of the blood work. We have to take it back to the building blocks where we go look at the very day-to-day blood work, no fancy tests. We go see if we can find any obstacles to treatment that can be removed. Now, in her case, it is a viral infection that she had, a chronic viral infection. We also see a lot of electrical stem sensitivities to people with bacterial infections, and you're just going to have negative outcomes with those patients if you don't remove those obstacles first. Now, these are patients, if we um, put them on any kind of electric current, their pain will actually start increasing. And instead of making progress and, uh, you know, having gains with their pain levels, we find that they have a very negative reaction to the current, correct? Yes, absolutely. And another clue is that these patients often come in and they have what is called gastroparesis. So, Dr. Hanley, explain gastroparesis and what that entails. Gastroparesis. Paresis, I don't like the name. It implies a paralyzed gastric system, but it's just really a slow digestive system, and it's everything about the system is slow. It's not just the motility where food won't move, but your body is not going to make bile. It won't make stomach acid. It's like the brain has flipped the digestive switch into the off position, and nothing about the system will work the way it's supposed to. So some of the common symptoms we see with gastroparesis patients is nausea, a lot of vomiting, uh, inability to tolerate food, you don't feel hungry anymore. They typically will eat a few bites of food and then feel full. They are not able to eat high fiber food anymore, it actually makes them more constipated. Neurologic patients often uh, are told that they have a separate problem with their GI tract and that it is not connected to their nervous system. However, recent research actually finds a great connection between the GI tract and the nervous system. Uh, Parkinson's, for instance, they just completed a study at the University of Montreal where they found that GI infections directly lead to Parkinson's in the brain. So, Dr. Hani, explain to me how the brain is connected to the gut. It is a very well-researched connection there, and it's more than just the brain. It's things like the person's or the patient's well-being, their actual, you know, things like anxiety and depression goes back to the gut. Um, 80% of your immune system is housed in the gut. So there is a nerve called the vagus nerve. It is the 10th cranial nerve. Now your cranial nerves, you have 12 pairs of cranial nerves that come out of the brain stem, which is the bottom part of the brain. And they have various functions. So, for instance, the nerves that help you to taste or move your eyes or help you to hear 
all our cranial nerves. The 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, is a very big nerve. It's a wide nerve that runs to all areas of your GI tract. It communicates with your heart and your intestines, your bladder, and they find that the vagus nerve controls immune function in the body. But it also acts as a ladder, doesn't it? It is very much a two-way system, and that's the part that the scientists did not expect to find, that it's more than just a nerve. It is like a ladder. So in some of the rat studies that they did, if they introduced these proteins in the guts of the mice that could um, kind of be the precursor for Parkinson's disease, in the mice, now of course, you know, medical model, they severed the vagus nerve. If they break that connection between the brain and the gut, the animals that they did that in did not go on to develop Parkinson's. That's really interesting. It's so tragic to me that you guys have all these separate symptoms that no one is tying together for you. So I really want you to start thinking of your body as a whole and understand that a lot of research out there you're going to have to find for yourself. You're going to have to Google things and try to figure out how is one piece connected to another piece. You have to be your own best advocate. Medical doctors are incredibly intelligent and certainly medical science in this country has developed so that they can do incredible things on the operating table and with medical devices and transplants. But the problem with the allopathic thinking is that each expert knows so much about just their area. And in our medical schools, at this point, they're not really taught how to link one thing with the other. We don't have a virtual round table where all your doctors sit around and communicate with each other and try to figure out how one thing is connected to another thing. And that is one thing I feel that we're very good at here. We've treated almost 400 patients with serious chronic pain, and we have now done lab work on most of those patients. And I know when patients come in here, they bring us stacks of paperwork, just stacks. Uh, they have files, they have ledgers, they have bags, and they do very fancy blood work, expensive blood work, genetic work especially in the alternative world now, we're driving a lot of those very expensive tests. Tell me a little bit about how you feel about those. It's frustrating. Uh, it's a privilege also to work with all of these patients and especially the ones that come in with 10 years worth of blood work. You know, I'm busy building a database of blood work that we can use computerized systems to tie all of these things together, that it's, it's an amazing opportunity. I think the biggest frustration in working with patients is that most of the missed opportunities occurs at the ground level. It is the simple, simple things that get overlooked, and then they go on to order more and more expensive, more and more specialized tests, where by the time the patient gets to you, with a file that may or may not fit in a suitcase, you can go back five years and find the answer plain as day where it was very evident five years ago. And there is frustration in the sense that you think, boy, if I got a hold of her in 2015, we could have licked this. 
So some of the common symptoms that we see in you guys that I want you to link together, let's start from the brain down, is headaches, migraines, daily headaches, feeling of pressure, uh, sometimes burning in the eyes or behind the eyes, pain that goes down the neck, and brain fog. Brain fog is a big one. Brain fog is a big one. We also see frequent sore throats. Um, you know, you go for strep testing fairly frequently and you may or may not come back positive. A lot of our patients have their tonsils removed at a very young age. What other organs do they like taking out? Another one that we see a lot is gallbladder where there's gallbladder discomfort, they can't find anything definitive on tests, they will pull the gallbladder and the gallbladder pain will still be there, unchanged. You call that phantom gallbladder syndrome, don't you? Yes, it's the ghost gallbladder. So brain fog, to get back to the brain, is caused by swelling or inflammation in the brain. If you have inflammation in the GI tract, the vagus nerve will act as a highway or a ladder and that inflammation will eventually reach your brain and that could cause headaches and migraines and also brain fog where you cannot think of everyday words, you're forgetting your children's birth dates, you cannot remember whether you left the stove on and you kind of honestly just feel like you're losing your mind and no one can link that symptom for you. A lot of patients will be told that pain medication is causing these memory issues. And while that could be, most commonly we link it to inflammation. Uh, Dr. Honey, what are some of the other symptoms and systems that start breaking down in our patients? Connective tissue disorders are very common in this patient population. We have issues with gut lining thinning, so we see a lot of food sensitivities, issues with food. Um, they're very persnickety eaters. They're, <laughs> their choices of foods will dwindle and they become very difficult to feed as a group. We see a lot of issues with bladder um, infections, the bladder wall infections, so interstitial cystitis. We have um, inflammation of the lungs that kind of acts like asthma, but it's not quite as severe. You just have sensitive lungs. And then, of course, the female system, I would say at least 80% of our chronic pain patients come in with some kind of a birth control to stop their cycles altogether because they see flares worse days when they're on or close to a cycle and they simply cannot handle it anymore. They tend to also have a really high incidence of polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, those kind of female dysfunctions where it is linked to excessive androgens in the female body. So your, your female body actually starts making those male hormones because of the, the increased pain levels and the vagus dysfunction. And we do see a lot of polycystic ovarian syndrome patients as well. A lot. I don't even ask my females anymore. I just give them a list of symptoms and say, you know, do you check these boxes? And they will just nod. So let's get back to the whole virus bacterial infection connection. I would say that at least 80% of our patient population, if not more, 
suffer from viral and or bacterial infections. Dr. Hanley, what kind of blood work do you use to diagnose these infections? Well, we start with just truly the basics. We're going to add um, things as we go as needed, but we're going to start with a complete blood cell count. You have to get the differential on there. That is the name for when they go look at the different white blood cells and the balance between those white blood cells. Um, we get a metabolic panel, lipid panels, some basic inflammatory markers. We always check a vitamin D level. So what specific markers do you tend to see in the blood work? We have, we look for a tilt to the left or the right in the immune system where you're either favoring bacteria or viruses. We look for systemic inflammation, so issues with vitamin B um, absorption. So there's this gene snip, um, MTHFR, I know it's been beaten to death, but a very high percentage of our patients have issues with that gene snip where they just don't methylate well. So there is almost some kind of anemia that we have to deal with, either iron anemia because of the heavy cycles or just lack of absorption because you've now grown sensitive to gluten and grains and that causes some absorption issues with iron. So what are some of the most common viral infections that we see in our patients? I would say the biggest one that we see is the Epstein-Barr virus. And if you go to a medical doctor and they do a monospot test on you, if I see another one of those, I'm going to cry. You know, monospot test looks and sees if you have mono right now. Other than that, it's absolutely useless information. Our patients have the recurrent or recurring kind of EBV, Epstein-Barr virus, that comes and goes. Your body has problems suppressing the immune system, so the condition that you now have is no longer called mono. So a mono spot test will come back negative. You need a different test for that. We see cytomegalovirus. Um, we see all of the herpes viruses, and Epstein-Barr virus is one of the herpes viruses. Um, HPV is one that we see sometimes, not too often, um, all of the enteroviruses, so for a lot of our patients, it started with about a food poisoning, what felt like food poisoning. So uh, what are some of the symptoms that patients with chronic Epstein-Barr viral infection will experience? There is a very well-linked um, connection there with chronic fatigue if you put in the words chronic fatigue, Epstein-Barr virus, and research, you will find all of the studies that have been done on that. So chronic fatigue is probably the most common and toughest symptom to get rid of. Uh, headaches that respond very poorly to medication is only present in about 50% of those patients with the EBV. Frequent sore throats, ear aches. Um, you know, upper throat, back of the head kind of symptoms and pressure. Depression is very common with that and just, you know, malaise, general malaise. So I know that our patients often ask, well, if I have infections, can I just take antivirals, go to my doctor and ask for those or take antibiotics for bacterial infections? What are your thoughts on that? 
It's funny you should mention that I just got off a Zoom call with one of my patients that just did six months worth of Elsiclavir for an EBV infection that's on paper. It's very big. It's there. And Valsiclavir, uh, we don't get any results with that. I have several other different formulas that we use. And we usually start with lesser difficult to digest versions of it. We start with the cheap and easy stuff, as I call it. And then from there, we will go on to add more specialized things if you don't respond. Now, I like to retest about every four to eight weeks. We run that CBC with differential again to see, are we moving the needle? If we're moving the needle, we stick with what's working. If it's a tougher case, we will move on to the next formula. Now, I have the same question about these common bladder infections that we see. I know that sometimes a patient will have aching in their bladder area, burning upon urination, or some foods that irritate their bladder, but yet when they go to their doctor and do a quick urine test for infections, it doesn't show any infections. Do you find that that's common in our practice? It's very common in our practice. It's just as common to have interstitial cystitis that barely shows up on a UA, so a urine analysis. You know, your doctor may something like, oh, it's a little something there. Uh, we're not sure if it was just not a clean catch. Um, only 50% of interstitial cystitis patients actually do have symptoms. A great many of my patients, when we run the test and get a positive result, they will think about it a bit and then say, yeah, now that you mention it. But it's not the kind of thing where you're stuck on the toilet and you can't go anywhere. It's mild, it comes and goes, and it can really interfere with your immune system. I want you guys to think about your body as a kitchen where you have a gas stove and you have a very small leak where you're constantly leaking gas into the room and then you light a match and the whole thing goes up in flames. So inflammation is that gas leak. It's dangerous. It causes other issues down the line. It can lead your immune system becoming overreactive and not having a good immune response to infections. And it can certainly worsen chronic pain. Uh, very much so. So Dr. Honey, do you have basic things that patients can take if they suspect that they have interstitial cystitis? Yes, there's a few things that we do. And the most common thing that I hear frequently from patients is, oh, I have tried that before, it didn't work. I like to say it's in the combination of products. So the first thing that we do is we introduce D-mannose as a simple sugar that your body cannot digest. So it goes through to the urine and it draws the bacteria to it. So as soon as you start taking D-mannose, yes, your symptoms will get worse. So save this one for weekend. Then I like to use Uva RCT that you steep and drink three times a day and we make a drink with baking soda and lemon juice so it's a kind of basic Alka-Seltzer if you will but for some reason Alka-Seltzer in the USA they've added a bunch of pain pills to it so we just make a simple salt with half a teaspoon of baking soda not baking powder and then lemon juice that you consume within a little bit of water three times a day to alkalize the urine. Now, 
95% of UTIs are E. coli. This formula tends to work for those that are E. coli. So if I get a patient that that doesn't work on and you're going to do that for 10 days, we like to go on and culture the urine. And what we'll usually find in that case, it's going to be a either a strep or a staph urine infection. And those may or may not require antibiotics. Thank you so much for that advice. I just have to add that our advice is not meant to replace the advice of your medical provider. Uh, we have to say that. I so appreciate your presence in this clinic and your role in our team. And I think it's a beautiful example of all the different uh, tools we have in our tool bag where you cannot just have one simple approach, but I really, you need what I call shock and awe, meaning we combine 16 different treatments and approaches and we do it all at once. I always say chronic pain is something where you have to chop its head off and drive a stake through its heart so that when our patients are here for 12 weeks and they go home, they can resume a normal life. Even if they've been sick for 24 years, 30 years, it's never too late to recover. So, Dr. Honnelly, I know that you didn't set out uh, to treat this patient population. This wasn't your chosen path. You're doing a lot of very exciting research for conditions like Alzheimer's. But what is it that keeps you coming back to this roundtable and working with this patient population? What, what drives you? You mean besides the fact that we never have boring days in here? <laughs> we don't. <laughs> I... Um, what gets me is the people and, you know, working with them in the way that we do is such a satisfactory line of work. We're not like a medical doctor where you come in and I prescribe things and sing you and I get the next round of sick patients. You actually get to follow a patient on their journey getting better. Little things like the mind fog lifting and getting to meet that person underneath that layer of fatigue and just hopelessness when you work with them it is a very rewarding thing to do yes it is it brings many amazing moments into our practice and that certainly drives us to continue our work and get this knowledge out to you guys we have a two-day program available where you can visit our clinic and get your blood work done here or you can bring it with you and then meet with Dr. Honnelly and after she established a patient relationship with you she will continue to work with you over Zoom so you can order blood work at home, correct? Correct. Um, with the way medicine is currently set up we get to do Zoom conferences with patients that I've met and created a relationship with. Now, technically, I can do that from a distance, but I have to really, I like to get my eye on people, get to meet them. Plus, it is, I prefer to order my own labs. And with our lab that I trust, I know them, I've worked with them for years, and it gets processed locally, and then we go from there. You guys, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Honnelly. Thank you for your expertise and input. I really appreciate it. If you leave with nothing else, I want you to start building upon hope and understand that you are in control of your health and your future and that you must never, ever stop fighting for yourself 
because a true full life filled with joy and the lack of pain is worth fighting for. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are excited about every new person we are able to reach. It is our most sincere hope that our podcast will bring hope to many. We hope you'll join us for our next episode where Dr. Katinka will be talking about why modern medicine is failing people who suffer from chronic pain. If you or someone you love is suffering from chronic pain, please don't lose hope. Visit our website at www.thespiroclinic.com for more information and stories of hope. That's www.thespiroclinic.com for more information and stories of hope.